1: Hey, everybody. Welcome to another Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer, joined by JJ Cooper. It's been a really uh, interesting and fun and busy week. Manny Machado finally signs. It's a record-breaking free agent contract. Bryce Harper rumors are still uh, out there en masse, and everyone's trying to figure out where he's going to land. And hey, we have actual games beginning yes. this week. well, exhibition games. Exhibition yes. games. Games are being played on a field, which is nice because- Professional games, profe- we've been having, you professional know. Professional games are being played on a field. That has not happened since, uh, if you, you can kind of sort of count the Fall League. I mean, that's, it's been a few months, so No, no, no,
0: no, no, that's not true. We have had a wonderful winter ball season, so, you within know. The US, profe- within the with US, U.S., within, US, within US. the U.S., yes, there yes, has not been Yes, since. that so, is true.
1: Uh, definitely a fun week uh, here uh, for, I think, every baseball. Uh, fan, writer, anyone with an interest in the game. JJ, I I want to start on Machado. Ten years, $300 million to San Diego Padres. The deal became official yesterday. We're recording this on a Friday. It became official on a Thursday. You have the history here at Baseball America much longer than anyone in this office, actually, except for Matt Eddy. You're the second. And Linwood
0: Linwood Webb, the two of, yes, those are the two with hired longer tenure now. But yes, I've been here 16 Um, years going on 17. It's been a long time.
1: You've seen this play out over two decades now. Team has big farm system. Team tries to make a big addition. Sometimes they do it too early. Sometimes they do it too late. Sometimes they time it just right. When you heard the Padres were signing Manny Machado, and now that you've had a day or a couple days to digest it from when it was first reported, what are just kind of your overall big picture thoughts on the signing and what it means for the Padres, present and future?
0: I think it's for one, anytime. Again, I think that it is, it is a weird world we have lived in. I think that we've almost seen an overcorrection because there was a time when there was irrational exuberance when it came to free agents. You know, Again, even like in my time at Baseball America, I remember the, the winter meetings where Jose Reyes, like the Marlins, the Marlins are in it, and they signed Jose Reyes, and they signed Mark Burley and all that. And I think that was the same year that the Angels signed Albert Pujols to And a, CJ Wilson. And CJ Wilson, Albert Pujols to a 10-year deal. And the reality of it is, at that time, like, yes, Albert Pujols tailed off quicker than the angels would have expected. However, that was a deal when you looked at Pujols' and let's, when we say age, let's just be honest with it, what his reported age was, because there is at least you know, some reasonably documentable you know, things where Albert Pujols has suggested at times that maybe he might be a little older than his, you know, the, the age. But even if you looked at his age he was listed at, you knew that you were getting you know, you were getting, you hoped like the tail end of Albert Pujols' greatness, and then you knew there'd be a, a decline phase. When the Tigers announced their Miguel Cabrera extension, which is going to go on for an amazing amount of years from now, for a player who you hope he's going to have bounced back, but is in the decline phase of his career. Fans have gotten kind of, not just front offices, but fans have gotten skeptical of these deals. But again, I really think that there's been an overcorrection on that. When you could get one of the better players in the game, and Manny Machado has been one of the better players in the game for the past five years. He's a, again, if you, war is a simple, simplistic stat, but he has been roughly a five-war player, which is a hard thing to find year after year. And he's done that in his early 20s. He is going to play the next five years of this deal should be, again, I'm not saying that he's going to get better, but it should be at least kind of, he is at the age where you say there should not be a tail off, a significant tail off at all in the first half of this deal. If you're the Padres, if you can get a player like that to add... To what we rank as the number one farm system in the game to add to a team that already has some pieces at the big league level i do not know again that those are things that usually that that is something that if i'm a padres fan i am thrilled to see this because all of a sudden this is a team that i don't know if it's gonna be 2019 but by 2020 2021 this team should be a serious contender in the NL West in a difficult division. The Dodgers have been really good for a long time, and they're really smart, and they have a lot, a lot of money, and all that. But I, again, I just look at this and say, yeah. I mean, if you can add one of the best players in baseball, that's something you want to do. Obviously, the
1: size of the contract it raises a lot of eyebrows. San Diego, uh, the Padres, historically have not been uh, particularly high up when it comes to payroll. I wrote about it a little bit. They've been in the bottom 10 in payroll, nine of the last 10 seasons. But to the credit of Ron Fowler and that ownership group, look, they set a franchise record deal when they signed James Shields a few years ago. They then spent $80 million internationally in 2016, 2017. They set a new franchise record for a free agent deal with Eric Hosmer last year. And now they set the record for largest free agent deal in North American professional sports with Manny Machado. They've opened the wallet. I, I will say that, look, you can, I can understand the skepticism of, okay, you know, fast forward two or three years, if the Padres are unable to trade Will Myers, and I think even if they do trade him, they're going to have to eat significant salary. There is a concern that you're going to have three players responsible for more than $70 million of a payroll, even if the Padres bump their payroll up another $30 million. That would put them 130, 140. Three players eating up half your payroll. I understand the concern. But as you said, at the end of the day, they have upgraded their team quite a bit. And more than just that, they didn't just sign a big-name free agent. They signed a big-name free agent who's going to play the position. They did not have anyone coming up for in this farm system. Hudson Potts is a very fine prospect. He's a big leaguer. But again, it's okay. He's, potential you know, big leader. Potential big leader. In terms of, when I say big leader, he's seen, he's seen as a big right. caliber prospect. I just want to make clear that, yeah. He's yes, not, he's not. No, yeah. he's a teenager who has a little bit of time right. in Double A at this exact moment. Um, but again, it was, hey, he could be a nice player. He could contribute. But the Padres needed more than that. This offense has been the bottom three or four in baseball in most categories for years now. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, what Manny Machado brings, his, his overall skill set, his ability to hit, his ability to hit for power, his defense... He makes them a better team now. He makes them a better team three years from now. Even if he opts out in five years, he does have that opt-out after the 2023 season. Even if he does opt out then, the Padres, if they do the right things around him, should be in contention 2021, potentially 2022, and 2023 as well. They'll have gotten a hugely impactful player for five years at a time, like you said, where he should not tail off. That's a huge
0: addition you should make and, and one they were right to make. The other thing that stands out to me, when all, with all these teams, when we talk about rebuilding teams, when we talk about successful teams, one of the things I look at is, is you have to have some stars. Depth is wonderful, but you have to have some cornerstone players. And when I look at this Padres team now, adding Manny Machado. Manny Machado is by every definition. Again, if you want to simplify it to, to the war calculations, you got to have a five-plus war kind of player.
1: I mean take it just go straight hey average on base slugging percentage. let's go average homers rbs for a young player in his 20s he's coming off four straight 30 home run seasons he just had the best season of his career at age 25 26 27 28 he's now hitting his peak again this is someone who is a premier player by any measurement and he should he will make this Padres team better so now you
0: have Manny Machado I we not it's not a sure thing but Fernando Tatis Jr. has all the characteristics of being a player who could be another cornerstone player. You know, he's a he has a shortstop who can hit for power, who actually now runs. He's gotten better at that. You know, he should be able to stay at the position at least, you know, for, for quite a while. He well, let's can, clear this up. Machado's their third baseman. Yes. Tatis is their shortstop. Yes. That's what it is. So so that gives them two. And then Again, ideally you want to have, it doesn't even necessarily you have to have three cornerstone type players, but you want to have a third who's close to that. And we have a multitude of candidates for that. We have a multitude of guys. We don't know that Francisco Mejia is going to be that. You know, if he could, he, he there's a chance, but again, we're talking like that third player, that, that third component. Eric Hosmer, I don't know if, you know, but he has shown at times he can be the third player on a team, on a successful, on a world championship team. You know, again, maybe it's a Manny Margot, maybe it's a Hunter Renfro. Again, these are guys where we're getting to a maybe it's Lewis Urias. You know, it, there's there's a multitude of guys who at least have a chance to do that. So on the lineup side, I do think that they have all the pieces now. To there's enough pieces there, and the other part of that is is that they also have enough trait. The reality is, is that they've got a lot of guys who now you know, are, are useful trade ships also in the, in the farm system. But, Kyle, the, the second question, the most important question then comes, OK, then we get to the pitching staff. I like the bullpen. Bullpen seems fine. But does the starting, again, starters are devalued now, but does the starting rotation have enough to get this team where it wants to go? So... We've looked at this a lot, how
1: long it takes pitchers to really acclimate to the big league level. And there are always exceptions, right? Justin Verlander came up a year after he was drafted, stud from day one, rookie of the year, on a World Series rotation. Jose Fernandez, second he came up in 2013, stud. Those are the exceptions. The vast majority of pitchers, even if you look at Max Scherzer, Trevor Bauer, pick your favorite pitcher. It took him a couple years to get acclimated. In some cases, Scherzer, it was six years. Bauer, year six as well even if you take it a little further, the guys we saw last year take a step forward, the Kyle Freelands of the world, that was year two. They were fine in year one, but they really take it up a notch and become, you know, really successful year two, three, four. I was going to say, year pitcher, two, year three, three year, year four. four. And then Mike was with the Braves, it was year five. That that two to four year range, that second full season in the majors when you start to really see potential and for true, whether it's all-star talent or, or that that level of performance that you can, feel confident putting in the middle of the front of a rotation. For the Padres, guys, that they got Lucchese up last year. Lamette when he comes back from TJ, I think is a keeper as well. Which is 2020? He'll be back this year, but it'll be late. And yeah, so 2020 be, really, there, there, There'll be a little bit of an acclimation period getting back there. So assuming Paddock, Alan Quantrill come up this year, best-case scenario, they're not really going to be performing like, okay, you know, potentially postseason-worthy starting pitchers until 2020. And that's earliest— Best case scenario, nothing goes wrong. Then you have the next wave of Gore, Morjone, Patino, Michelle Baez will be in there somewhere in the middle potentially. All those guys will get their first taste if nothing goes wrong in 2021. And really it's going to be 2022 before you can say, okay, or so they'll, they'll get their first taste potentially 2020. And by that point, maybe it's 2021 where you can say, okay, maybe they they are performing at a level we can feel confident about. That's all best case scenario. That's if none of those guys get hurt. That's if none of those guys have any extended hiccups. That's if all of those guys come up fairly quickly, stay healthy, and acclimate right away. And we know that's not going to happen. Maybe two will, two won't, two won't make it at all. So realistically, and this is the point I kept driving home. I've been on a couple San Diego radios just talking about this. I, I kind of wrote about it a little bit in the article about Manny Machado's signing. Manny Machado's signing does not necessarily accelerate the Padres' playoff timetable. Because as amazing as Manny Machado is, he cannot accelerate the pitcher's development curve. That's still going to take time. And so for me, you know, even hearing people say, oh, 2020, that's still a little early. I mean, for 2020 to be realistic that they're a postseason caliber contender in 2020, that would be Lucchese and Lamette are, again, everyone's healthy, they're back performing at the levels they were before. And that, Quantrill, Allen, Paddock, get up this year have all you know have a, a really strong first year, and then by year two they're all successful to level their need to be. That's still a stretch for me. For me, it's going to be twenty twenty one before this team is really going to be a postseason contender. And that is again see, best case scenario. Nothing
0: goes wrong. And see, this is where I, what I'm going to say is is that I don't disagree with anything you said there necessarily, but This is to me where, if I'm the Padres, I am not, I am using my bountiful, and I do mean bountiful pitching prospect talent to go out there and I think that this is a team that absolutely needs to say, we're gonna spend some of that talent to find, you know, again, let's say that they're going to have, you know, between Lucchese, Lament, Logan Allen, Jacob Nix, Cal Quantrill. Those are the close to the big leagues. The guys who Eric Lauer made it. Eric last Lauer. Year. Between those six guys, let's say that we're going to say, okay, we're counting on those guys for spots, maybe it's even spots two, three, four, you know, two, three, five in the rotation. But you, I feel like this team absolutely needs to. Go out, and I don't know if it's available right now. I mean, again, there was a lot of talk that the Indians would have trade, you know, would trade Kluber in the right deal or Bauer in the right deal. And by the way, you know, unfortunately, I don't think this is a great match for them because if the Indians are going to make a trade like that, what do the Indians need? A low cost, middle of the order kind of outfielder, well, you know. They actually need outfields, which is what the Padres have a lot of. The problem is, is, I don't think the Padres have anyone, though, who you say, I, I don't know who the Padres have who I confidently state makes the Indians significantly better. Who's the guy who makes them significantly? Oh,
1: absolutely. Frenchy Cordero, Hunter Renfro, Mel Reyes are all better outfielders than the guys the Indians are running I'm out, out in the corners they're not right better, now. But they're not, they're, every one they're, of them. They can't lead a prospect package, but they are, they would no, represent again, not, better players than the
0: Indians are running out in the corners. This I don't, year, this, absolutely. Well, that's absolutely easy, but that doesn't mean this is the right deal. Like if I compare those guys to like, if I said, okay, compare those guys to to, to just pick a guy. Like, they're not the guy where you say, this is a guy. Yes, they absolutely, the bar of what's no, going to make them better than of, what they have now is very, very low. You add one
1: of those guys with an Adrian Morahone, but they're not the leader right, of the Right, but my point
0: package. being, if I'm, again, if I'm the Indians and I'm still trying to contend in 2019, what I'm looking to do is, is when I trade, if I'm going to trade a Kluber or a Bauer, okay, for everything that I lose on this end, I'm going to try to get most of it back on the other end. In the, our out, the outfielder I'm getting is so much better. You know, again, it's, not a, there's, it's hard to have the perfect match for that. But to, to give an example, and the Dodgers are not going to trade, but, like, if you said that they're trading with the Dodgers, well, the Dodgers still have such a bounty of outfielders that you'd be like, okay, if you believe in Alex Verdugo, how much is Alex Verdugo going to, make, going to be better than, like, is he going to be more significantly better than a Franchi or a, you know, again, and again, we can debate these things. And again, that's not even the perfect example. But but to me, they need to go out and get a front. You know, Matt and Eddie and I were talking about it, and he suggested a Zach Greinke trade would be a very, you know, again, there's some cost there. But they need to get someone. I I feel like that this is the team. This is the team that it is wasting it to say we're not going to make a push for 2020 because our pitching won't be ready. Because the reality of it is is that, at that point, you you've spent three years of the Hosmer deal, and you have spent two years, you're in year two of the Machado deal, and you're still, like, you're going to get to the point where some of these guys start getting expensive. Like, the window's going to start closing on you from the standpoint of your position players are going to hit arbitration at the point where your pitchers start to really figure it out. That's the danger.
1: starts with hit arbitration in 2020, Renfro, I believe, 2020 as well. So, it, it there's going to be some consideration there, but I will say this the Padres, right now, still you know, some of these other teams had guys get brought up early and then they started to show, okay, this is a cornerstone type talent that we can build around. The Padres haven't had anyone ascend to that level yet within this farm system. The timing of it's going to be interesting whether or not they can get to all sync up. I've written about that before where past rebuild attempts, even if the talent's all there, the the Blue Jays of the late 90s are my favorite example of this, where you look on paper, the talent they had was, I mean, that, that was a talent. There was enough talent there to beat, at very least, some of those Red Sox teams and contend with some of those Yankees teams, but they didn't time it up right. By the time the pitchers had peaked, the hitters were already gone. It's going to be a challenge for the Padres. I, I will say this. You know, There's a lot of focus on the pitching staff. Manny Machado is, is fantastic. He's a great player. He will not single-handedly take the Padres from 28th and runs scored and 28th and oh, OPS not. last year to the middle of the pack. Even if he comes and does everything he needs to do, and even if the Padres go and, and make a big pitching splash, this still is probably not a competitive thing. They need Eric Hosmer to bounce back. They need Will Myers to bounce back. They need Manny Margot and Austin Hedges to take the steps forward they have not yet taken. They need Hunter Renfro and Framel Reyes to continue taking the steps forward they have. There's a lot of things this team still has to have happen, even if they do everything right, with the talent they already have. And that, I think, will be one of the more interesting subplots of 2019 because, as it stands, they're not ready to contend for the playoffs right now. But if these guys progress... Then all of a sudden, that 2020 contention looks a lot more likely than it does right now.
0: The interesting thing about that, though, is this I don't think you mentioned the player who I expect to be the second best player on the 2019 San Diego Padres. Who do you believe that is? Tatis. If you look nowadays, if you look at our recent track record, you know, Tatis is a guy who does have upper level minor league experience now. He is a, now again, it is not. If you ask my confidence in Vladimir Guerrero Jr.'s bat and Eloy Jimenez's bat more than Fernando Tatis, I'm absolutely more confident in that bat because they are almost as hitters the perfect hitting prospects. They don't they hit for power, they hit for average, they walk and they don't strike out a lot. Those are like check, 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 check. But when you talk about with when you talk about Tatis, if you said can he be you know, again, playing shortstop, and if he can play a solid shortstop, which, by the way, he can make some acrobatic plays, you know, again, if he can be a solid defensive shortstop, and let's say that he comes up and he hits 270 with some power, you know, and gets on base at a decent clip, which I think is within his ability to do. If he does that, then you're asking Eric Hosmer, you're not even asking for him to fully bounce back. You're just asking for him to be, your, let's say, your fourth best hitter. If Manny Margot can play you know, really solid defense and center and hit for some average. If Hunter Renfro is a low average guy for hits for power, all of a sudden the pieces start, you know when those are complementary pieces, again, we don't know what Mejia's going to do, but if Mejia can be, a, you know man, this guy puts the bat on the ball a lot. He doesn't walk ever, but he puts the bat on the ball a lot and he's hitting 300 and playing an okay defense and you're splitting him with hedges. All these things, again, I don't think 2019's their year, even if they went out, and acquired they could acquire Kluber and Marcus Stroman and I don't think 2019 is their year but I do think that this team it's really like you're you're setting what you want this year again there are the rare team that makes that giant leap but if this is a San Diego Padres team that can put some of these pieces together and they finish they basically have a season much like what the Phillies had last Honestly,
1: year even the 2013 Royals are the great example yes. of the- the Royals have nine straight losing seasons. In 2013, they jumped to 86 wins. A lot of the young bats had Which, finally started to and take And do remember, they were awful the first half, but then the second half, they got better. A lot of the young players start to really take steps forward. That was the year they acquired James Shields and Wade Davis. Those guys provided immediate boost. They get to 500, above 500, and they build on it. That, that At the end of the day, the goal for the Potters should be, let's have a winning season.
0: If, if something more right. than that but happens, But if they get great. to 80-82 wins this even if it was 80, but 82 wins this year, winning season. That's a win for them. And that means that they go into 2020 saying, okay, we're part of this. Look, all we need to do, you know, a couple of further steps forward, and we are contending in the NLF.
1: The Potters have made this big move. We've talked ad nauseam about, what it does for them and what still needs to happen for them there's an article up now on baseballamerica.com you can check out i wrote earlier this week the white Sox were the other team in the manny machado sweepstakes they're another team that has a long stretch of losing seasons along with the padres they are one of only four teams to not make the postseason this decade they lose out on manny machado <laughs> you never know the public rumors change day to day but on publicly bryce they Har- have
0: said they're not on bryce harper
1: When you look at this team, where they stand right now as a major league club, what they stand to gain in 2019, Kof, Eloy Jimenez, Kof, what is your overall assessment of the White Sox and how realistic it is for them to take a step forward this year, contend by 2020? Just Where are they at when you
0: look at the big picture? I don't want to over-dramatize it, but man, this is a crushing blow. Because to me... We talked about, like, again, I'm, I am a strong believer that you need cornerstone guys. Why did the Braves take the big step forward last year? Because they had Freddie Freeman, but all of a sudden they had Ronald Acuna, who's a cornerstone, five-plus-war type player. And you throw in that Ozzie Albies is a wonderful number, you know, third piece now, you know, and the pitching staff got better. Um, you know, when we talk about, you know, why, why did the Astros, well, how did the Astros go from being terrible to, to world, you know, World Series champs? Well... They had Jose Altuve, George Springer, Carlos Correa, and now they have Alex Bregman. They have cornerstone-type guys. Guys who are significantly better than the average MLB starting player. My concern with the White Sox is, is, okay, let's just start with, let's say Eloy Jimenez is that guy. And I wouldn't be shocked at all if Eloy Jimenez you know, was basically produced, This year, what we've gotten kind of uh, spoiled by, like rookies who come in and it's like, man, this guy's one of the better heroes in baseball. Eloy Jimenez could do that this year. But let's say he does. And let's also say that Jose Abreu, you know, has a good Jose Abreu season. Okay. But even if we're saying that, you're still like, when you talked about, you're saying that these Padres need guys to step forward. Well, Again, I felt really confident about saying Fernando Tatis Jr. has a good chance to do that. We say that about Eloy. Yoan Mankata has has some significant steps forward if he's going to be that guy. He's going to play third base, it looks like, this year, potentially, but he needs some steps forward. I don't think Tim Anderson could be that guy. Well, but then when we go to the prospects besides Eloy, who's the other potential cornerstone guy out of those guys? Like, they've got some good players. They've got some guys who could be very solid big leaguers, but... A lot of them are guys who I think have a chance to be solid big leaguers, not cornerstone, five plus war kind of guys.
1: The White Sox, to me, where they maybe are a step ahead of the Padres is, you look at their 2019 staff, and and it is a better strength if You have Ronaldo Lopez, Carlos Rodon, if he can stay healthy. You know, Nova is a one-year rental. He's a free agent after 2019, but he's a nice pitcher. Like, they at least have three major league starters from opening day that you say, hey, you know, these guys are solid. Again, mm-hmm. Rodon and Lopez are young. And that's not even counting if Lucas Giolito figures it out. Even if you don't believe he will, there's still three guys there you can like. And even their bullpen, as much as the Padres have some, some weapons in that bullpen, Alex Colome, Kelvin Herrera, you know, Nate Jones at the end of it, that's a pretty nice bullpen. The White Sox 2019 pitching is in a little bit better shape than the Padres' 29 pitching at Absolutely. the start of the season. So that's what you Even know. with the Kopech, uh, disappointing news with Kopech missing all this year. You can foresee Kopech, again, comes back next year. If by next year Dylan Cease is ready, I do think there is a chance, a chance and I get, that the White Sox 2020 starting rotation will be better than the Padres' 2020 mm-hmm. starting rotation. And I can also see their 2021 starting rotation being better than the Padres. Absolutely. So that that is where you can have a little bit of faith. But you're right. You look at, the modern, you know, the lineup as it stands now for what it looks like it will be on opening day, Jose Abreu is the only guy that's an above-average big leaguer right now. That's it. None That is it. So, and even if you project Moncada and Anderson to take the steps forward and become even just above-average big leaguers, okay, so you have three of them when you have to bat nine guys in a lineup. Let's add Eloy. You've got a fourth piece. Okay, well, more than half your lineup is still below-average big league hitters. That's a problem that's... Again, I don't see that getting solved in 2019. I don't see that getting solved in 2020. You know, Nick Madrigal was the fourth overall pick. You can believe in him, hope for him, and we'll see how it all shakes right. out. But again, you mentioned there's, not a, there's some good players, cornerstone... A lot of good players. Again,
0: like they, have, they have a lot of outfielders who have plausible big league careers ahead of them.
1: At the end of the day, with the White Sox, you, you kind of hit on it. You see... Hope, I mean, even if the, this again, Eloy hits and Moncada and Anderson take a step forward, none of this is guaranteed. I, you know, there's perfectly valid reasons to be skeptical on Moncada and Anderson. I actually believe in Anderson more than I believe in Moncada, but that's a side, that's a side discussion.
0: I may go the other way. There's
1: enough. not, there's not a lot has to happen for them to even have a halfway. Worthy major league
0: lineup this year and probably next year too and maybe even twenty twenty one. again So the, the the hope you have with them is is we're talking about that the Padres who have spent all their money now and now Everything you would assume. I don't think they're gonna go get Dallas Keiko Or you would assume that everything else going forward for the Padres is going to be Acquisitions not signings the White Sox clearly the thing that you hope for you if you're a White Sox fan is is okay if you're out on Harper you struck out this year you tried you struck out this year. On
1: you adding... hope you can go get Nolan Arenado next year. There, there is a very big free agent We're... class next year. That look, we do have to draw attention. Nolan Arenado is a free agent. Paul Goldschmidt's a free agent. JD Martinez is potentially a free agent if he opts out. There's a really good class coming. Chris Sale potential free agent. So. There are going to be I, I options. Think that,
0: I don't think that one's going to be a real. I don't option. either. <laughs> but, but but potentially. It, 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 no, please please yes. let that happen. <laughs> what I want to have happen there <laughs> is Chris Sale comes back and they hold up you know the free agent the, the the press conference with the jersey, and hold up a shredded jersey. That would be the best. That would be a wonderful way, like, okay, we're all having a laugh about this, you know, like, you know, but yeah, I don't think that's... So, that.
1: so there are big classes coming in 2019, and potentially 2020, Francisco Lindor, Mike Trout are coming up. So there's a chance the White Sox could always go from the outside. But, but I would say that the way the Potters are constructed right now with what they have coming, they are ahead of where the, with the, where the White Sox are with
0: what they have right now and what they have coming. Yes, again, and part of that comes back to like, I, the way I would put it with the Padres is, beyond Tatis, I would view no one in their farm system as untouchable. Now, there are players I would not give up. It would be a very high price. But, but they have a lot of players who could be cornerstones of deals. Like, if they want to get the big, help the big league club, Mackenzie Gore, even after a blister-ruined 2019, has massive, massive trade value. You could make McKenzie Gore the centerpiece of a trade to acquire a very good big league starting pitcher. And again, that's the, that's the starting point. And then you're like, but you're not having to fill in much after that. And to be honest, if you're willing to take on salary, their guys like, no, we, that McKenzie Gore by himself would be too much. You have, again, Patino. There's there's a multitude of guys who either are the first piece, the second piece, or the third piece in almost any deal you want to put together. With the White Sox. Assuming that Eloy Jimenez is not part of this deal. Now, Dylan Cease could be, you know, if you wanted to, but again, and again, maybe, you know, there are ways you could work out these, these deals. However... Okay, one, if you said that, you know what, we're counting on Eloy, Kopech, and C. so maybe I'm being unfair in saying that let's take those three. After that, it gets to guys who very quickly to me are second pieces in deals, not first.
1: The White Sox for me, they're going to have to hit big now in the 2019 free agent class. We hit on some of this, but here's, here's, the, better, here's the more complete list. Nolan Arenado, Garrett Cole, Chris Sale, who we've talked about probably wouldn't end up there, Xander Bogarts, Anthony Rendon, JD Martinez, Paul Goldschmidt, Justin Verlander, Josh Johnson, Madison Bumgarner. Even outside of that top 10 group, you get Didi Gregoris, you get Zach Wheeler, you get Marcelo Zuna. The 2019 free agent class At least as it is right now, some so, so, of these guys will get extended. Yes, as it stands right now, even if half these guys get extended, you're still talking about five, and, six premium free agents. And the reality the
0: of it is, is the fact that these guys have not been extended yet, Fewer guys get extended in the final years of their deal, the final year of before free agency than get extended before that. Why? Because at this point, now again, there's still some risk involved, but you've, you've, already, you've already taken most of the risk. You know, Nolan Arenado could have, Nolan Arenado could miss this season with an injury. And Nolan Arenado has enough resume on his, you know, behind him that he would be a top free agent. Again, in a way that if you're a second, third-year player and you are offered an extension, you don't feel that same level of comfort. There are a lot of these players who will hit free agency, probably. And, yes, there are a lot of things that can go there. And, again, I'm not... The, the advantage that we have not talked about with the White Sox I think is a very, very, very important advantage if we're talking about White Sox and Padres is... Their the financial pa- flexibility, which the Padres now are very limited in. But that wasn't where I was going. The Padres are in a division where... They have a juggernaut in the division that's gone to -to back-to-back World Series who can spend more money than them, and by the way, is one of the few teams I see in baseball who doesn't have windows. The Dodgers are capable, because their scouting, player development, and free agent acquisitions are all good enough that they don't have windows. They can be contenders for a significant period of time going forward, even though their window already Has stretched for half a decade, so they can do that. I look at the AL Central, and you say the Indians' window feels like it is closing. They're still the best team in that division potentially, but that team is significantly worse than the team that came within one inning of winning the World Series a couple of years ago, and they are significantly worse than the team that basically was quickly quickly exited the playoffs last year. They could still, you know, but they're. And then you look at the rest of the division, you say with the rest of the division, you know, the Twins may be better. They're spending a little bit of money. The Royals are still several years away in their rebuild. The Tigers are still several years away. They have a division that is going to make things easier for them.
1: And that is the fair point. The White Sox could be a worse team than the Padres and find themselves in the playoffs. You mentioned the Dodgers. The Rockies have back-to-back postseason appearances. The Rockies pitching staff right now is what the Padres hope and pray they mm-hmm. will have two years from now. Mm-hmm. The Rockies are in great shape. They're not going anywhere. It's going to be interesting to see how it all shakes out. The other team oh, that... Oh, you say that, the
0: Rockies aren't going anywhere. Well. One thing I'll say is this: well, their lineup's not very good also. And if Nolan Arenado leaves at the end of the year,
1: uh-oh. But they at least have the stay streamer position players in the upper levels of their system who will hit either, In some cases, they're already there. The David Dahls right, of the but, world... We, you know potentially Garrett Hampson, Brandon Rogers coming up. I still think the Rockies have more bodies to put plug in sooner than the White Sox do. The other team these decisions really affected was the Phillies. The Phillies went into the off season. you know, everyone has heard about the stupid money quote from the owner, and in a lot of ways, they've delivered. They took on salary and upgraded their team in a lot of different moves between signing David Roberts and Andrew McCutcheon as free agents. Bring in Gene Segura, which I wrote in the chat yesterday. I think that was the single best move of the offseason that not enough people are talking about. Adding JT Realmuto, obviously the price was high. He's worth it. So the Phillies have already upgraded substantially. They are also in a meat grinder of a division. Oh, yeah. I mean, the Phillies could win 82 games this year and be one of the 10 best teams in baseball just because they're going to be facing three of the other top 10 teams in baseball potentially 60 times, uh, 60 times this year. With Machado off the board, and, and I said from the beginning, Machado was a better fit for them than Harper, just given Michael Frank. The Phillies have some outfield options that are viable. Yeah, that uh, I like more than Michael Franco, but either of these guys is gonna make them better.
0: Yes. Uh, let, let's yeah, just yes. grant that
1: yes. either of these guys is gonna make any team better in 2019. Uh, but in terms of overall fit, I, again, I thought I liked Machado the fit more, but again, he's off the board. They could do just fine for themselves by adding a Bryce Harper. Obviously, that's been the, the the popular rumor. When you, again, same question with the other teams. Big picture, Phillies, what's in the big leagues now, where they stand, what they can afford to do, both present and future. How much would you like or dislike a Bryce Harper to the Phillies signing if that were to be his ultimate landing spot?
0: Oh, I think it takes, you know... Uh a very, very good offseason already and takes it into the stratosphere. I mean, because the reality of it is, is that again, I'm, I'm sorry for being repetitive on this, but we're talking about, we're talking about franchise, call them franchise, cornerstone players, whatever you want to call them. Now, the one thing about Bryce Harper is, is we have to acknowledge the difference between Bryce Harper and Manny Machado is, is the highest highs with Bryce Harper are higher, but the lowest lows are significantly lower than Manny Machado. Over the last three seasons, Machado's been the better player, and it's actually not that close. It's not close. Like, Harper, at his best, is an MVP, runaway MVP caliber player. Bryce Harper's best seasons are inner circle Hall of Fame type seasons. But he's had... fairness,
1: he's done that He's done that
0: one and a half a times, I would even... Like, the funny thing is, is, Bryce Harper, earlier in his career, like, he's become less consistent. You know, again, I think there's... And his style of play does mean that there are going to be injuries that means that sometimes he's not going to be playing at his best. You put all that together, that said, the Phillies problem I felt like, again last year, that was a good step forward for them, but one lesson we learned, ignoring defense completely is never a good idea, and they were bad defensively at a whole multitude of positions. But on top of that, that team last year for all the prospects they have, and they've been bringing up again, when you say who are these cornerstone guys? Who's the guy that you say, okay, we're going to pencil in that guy for a four and a half, five WAR this year and next year and the year after? They were lacking in that, and now they've added Real Muto. If they add Harper, well, teams don't again. You look at what it did for the Brewers last year to add Yelich, who's that kind of guy. Teams often do not often add two guys like that in the same offseason. And you add that to what is a young core. With when we talk about a pitching staff, they have kind of the the front guy. You know, Nola is a Aaron Nola is kind of is again when we talk about this, Aaron Nola is better than any of these pitchers we're talking about for the White Sox or the Padres by a long shot. By a long yeah, by a large margin, and he's locked up because he was also that was something else they did. The four-year,
1: forty-five million dollar deal was they got fantastic. him extended
0: at a at a <laughs> yeah. bafflingly low number. Um, for several years to come you put all that together and you say at that point they're not asking for their young guys to be stars they're asking for them to be solid com- you know can reese hoskins be the f- you're moving reese hoskins back to his actual position and you're saying can you be the third best hitter in this lineup okay sure that's that's a really good role for reese hoskins you're saying okay can Scott Kingery, who hopefully, by the way, will have a position that he, you know, again, we're not.
1: Kingery's the utility man. Cesar Hernandez yeah. and Gene Segura, that, saying, that, you're, those, you're putting, that's that middle Scott Kingery goes field. from
0: being your everyday shortstop, a position he had never played in the minors or college baseball, to being a utility guy in one year. That's what you're doing here. You are now putting it, your team in position where you have depth. Nick Williams, if you sign Bryce Harper, Nick Williams is kind of your pinch hitter type, I would assume. You know? they
1: have outfield depth they can use some of that outfield depth to go make some more trade Now, yeah. now their farm as system is
0: going to be a little thinner is a little thinner now but that's okay you know they've again it's a great division I, I you know there's we by the way again if you also one to I'll say is, is the Nationals if you the Nationals offered Bryce Harper 300 million and I do believe in hindsight are like, okay, that that worked out well. He turned it down. That worked out really well for us because I think that they can reasonably project that they are going to get Harper-esque production from Juan Soto. Well,
1: they allowed them to have a more well-rounded team. Their catching situation last year was atrocious. They mm-hmm. now had some spits that go get Jan Gomes and Kurt Suzuki. Mm-hmm. They upgrade second base tremendously. They bring in Brian Dozier, who, even a declining Brian Dozier, is better than Wilmer Diva what they've been throwing yes. out there recently. You go get Patrick Corbin, even if he's. Their pitching staff is it is, it is frighteningly so it, good. It, it allowed them to spread the money around and fill multiple holes. And that, at the end of the
0: day, you, you can have. And the, I don't feel like that their offense is not going to produce because the, oh, I, wait, a lineup with Soto, Rendon, You know, again, what you you mentioned, mentioned, Trey Turner,
1: Ryan, you know, even Victor Robles. They have
0: cornerstone players. By the way, and
1: way, even if, you know, Ryan Zimmerman's getting up there, but he still has had some, some, there's still some offensive thump in there.
0: By the way, Victor Robles, hey, we're going to have you come up. And you know what? You can bat seventh for us. We're not asking you to do, we're not asking you, when we talk about Eloy Jimenez, we talk about Fernando Tatis Jr. These are guys who have to come up, and from day one, they need to be stars. If Victor Robles plays a really good defense in center field, they're not asking him to be a star. They don't need him to be a star in 2019.
1: You hit on all these young stars, and we've talked about them a lot, the Potters, the White Sox, the mm-hmm. Phillies. Every year spring training gives us kind of the first view of who some of those guys could be. And sometimes we see it right away, sometimes we don't. Last year, Ronald Acuna set the world on fire in spring training. Yeah, that's going to be an impact player for the Braves very, very soon. Shohei Ohtani set the world on fire in the opposite direction in spring training, just made everything look terrible, and, it still, was. and it still was a marvel unlike the game has seen in 100 years. What, for you, are, are the teams and players that you think are most intriguing to see in spring training this year? I'll be in Florida, you'll be in Florida, Josh is going to Arizona, we'll have a lot of coverage here at BaseballAmerica.com, but with games... Supposed to start tomorrow, got rained out, that uh, A's-Mariners no, game. starting today. The A's-Mariners officially had the first spring training game yesterday, and it got rained like, out. Saying, but we well, said tomorrow. Oh, and Matt, yes. The first, the first group plays today, and then everyone plays yeah. tomorrow. What are the teams and players for you that you're going to be most intrigued to watch this spring training?
0: It's, okay. it's, it's, it's kind of a bad answer because, my, as it always is, go to the backfields. Go to the backfields. I'm really looking forward to going to Rays camp and seeing Wander Franco, because Wander Franco is really, really good. But not just Wander Franco, but that is a team that has a whole lot of very interesting young players. Um, you know, again, I'm going to sound like Debbie Downer here a little bit. There is an artificiality to spring training that does, you know, that is a little frustrating in 2019 because, like, we know. Like it would it surprise it would surprise me in no way if Vladimir Guerrero Jr. was as good a hitter in a grapefruit league as any other as any hitter in the grapefruit league. We have seen this. We saw this with Acuna. we saw this with Chris Bryant, we may or maybe it's that Eloy Jimenez is, does the same thing out in the Cactus League. And the reality of it is, is that and when that's done, on opening day, they will be in AAA A because that is where we are now, you know, and all that. And the reality of it is, is so that is one thing that is different now. Like, you know, it. I'm not saying this didn't happen occasionally, but we have the, the idea that players earn jobs in spring training has kind of largely gone by the wayside. Um, and again, in some ways, it makes sense. There is a
1: certain... I'd say some of the veteran battles do. The young players in a lot of cases are being put down in AAA regardless. Not always. We saw a guy like Ryan McMahon get on the opening day roster last year. But generally speaking, the young guys are going to be sent down regardless.
0: But also, front offices are a whole lot smarter
1: than they used to be. The top young guys, I should
0: say. But I'm saying front offices are smarter. So even with the veterans, a guy hitting 300 versus a guy hitting 250 in 45 at-bats is not like, again, guys don't actually like, those evaluations are now made on much more than just what they look like in, you know, okay, that ball fell in and that ball didn't. Those, again, there's much deeper distinctions being made. Um, but, but again, like I say, like one of the things that's awesome about spring training is, yeah, I mean, we are in a world now where the great thing is, is even if you can't get to Arizona or Florida, you can watch a lot of these games and you can see a lot of, I mean, to me, one of the best things about it is, is see a lot of these young prospects. Now, you're gonna be watching them, they're gonna be wearing number 88, and it's, you know what? Actually, well, let me make one other thing. That's a new trend that I love. As we have more of these games being broadcast, what teams are starting to do, which is a great, great, great idea. Instead of it just being the normal MLB crew doing these games, who, in some cases, When, I mean, to take an example, when, you know, let's not say Wander Franco, but let's say that Moises Gomez steps into a game for the Rays. Ten years ago, five years ago, that guy comes in and you can tell that the broadcast crew who's talking about this literally is reading his stat line out of the media guide and that's what they know. More and more teams are saying, you know what, we're going to do more of these games and we're going to give an opportunity to our minor league broadcasters. And you're seeing some of these. Uh, you know, I saw yesterday, I think, that Mick Gillespie's doing games. I've seen multiple of these minor league broadcasters doing games. You know what the great thing, one of the great things about that is, is instead of it being like, it's the fifth inning, so let's talk about anything other than the game because all these players are in here, are not the stars now, they're still going to talk about those players. And by the way, that's one of the great things about spring training. You know, like... Yes, you're also going to see, oh, so that's where this random minor league invite, I didn't know where he was now. But that's one of the great things I'm watching. If I'm, again, if I'm a fan, you know, a Baseball America listener, and I'm watching a game in the seventh inning, I'm watching the game in the seventh inning not so I can hear your opinion on, you know, the best burger you've had, but I'm watching to see. hey, wait a second, you know, Christian Pache's in center field right now. I want to see if he's going to get to make a play in the gap, you know, things like that. And that's where we are seeing more of it. You know, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm really a, being a Debbie Downer about spring training. Who are you looking for? What are you looking for to see?
1: I think the Mariners, for me, are going to be interesting. We saw them tear it all down this year. We have got a little bit of a glimpse yesterday. Shed Long with two doubles. He really opened my eyes in the fall. Like I think seeing how some of these Mariners kids do you know, early spring training, just, again, getting eyes on guys, seeing, OK, what improvements have been made in the offseason, where are they at. Seeing the Shed Long, Eric Swanson, Obviously, you say Kikuchi, but we know he's going to be, you know, legit. Um, I should say, we shouldn't say we know, we never really know, but there's a 99% certainty he will be a solid Big League contributor. But some of the other guys that they acquired, you know, even Kellenic and Rodriguez, you know, whatever game time they get, if any, would be limited because they're so young down the ladder. But we're going to see Justin Dunn, you're going to see Eric Swanson, you're going to see Shed Long, you're going to see some of the guys they brought in and, and have touted as maybe being able to help the team this year or next year. Uh, that's going to be interesting to me to see. Um, out, out in the Grapefruit League, you know, I am going to be interested to see the Mets, and I will be seeing the Mets. I'll have reports from Mets camp, but not for maybe the reasons everyone expects. I'm going to be really interested to see where Peter Alonso's defense is. That, to me, is going to be how that has progressed this offseason season, and where that is right now compared to where it was in the Arizona Fall League is going to be an interesting subplot that I want to see because that's going to determine if he's really playable. This is a nationally club you have to be able to field basic ground balls. That's been an issue. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: so Again, he, the Mets are a downer, like disappointing for them that there's not gonna be a DH in the NL in uh, 2019. So we'll see where he stands there. Um,
1: yeah, I, you know, I'm gonna go see the Cardinals. I think they're interesting because there's so many young arms they're gonna be relying on this year. Well, it's Alex Reyes and they're potentially in the rotation, um, we're gonna see a little more extended views of Dakota Hudson, Austin Gomber, Daniel Ponce de Leon. They, they came up last year, did some good things. Ryan Helsley. I'm interested in seeing the guys who, they will see the big leagues this year. Mm-hmm. Where are they? What are they showing you? How realistic is it that these guys can be ready, whether it's in two months, three months, four months? That's always kind of an interesting subplot to me. I, you know, on the Braves, too. I'm, I'm going to be up in Kissimmee to finish it off, or Lake Buena Vista you mentioned seeing Christian Pasha. You mentioned seeing the guys who are still prospects, seeing some of the young pitchers. Because right now the Braves have they have four spots. By the way, Luis Gohara slimmed down this year back, which is encouraging. Yep, Dave O'Brien with the uh, Journal of Constitution or no. with the Athletic. I'm sorry had a, a really good article about that. Just again, C.M.K. Okay, Soroka's shoulder, Gohara's general, you know where he's at, but both mentally and physically. Yes. These seeing Kyle Wright, Ricky Toussaint's control, you know all Kyle Wright. Seeing all these guys who we know they're talented, but at the end of the day what matters is the major league contribution they can make, and seeing where and how they've grown from maybe last September, or in some cases from the fall of last November to now, is always something that I'm gonna be keeping an eye on. So I'll be down there starting on Saturday. We'll have a week and a half of, of wall-to-wall coverage. JJ will be going down a little bit later in March. Josh will be out in Arizona, so uh, we'll have a lot of spring training coverage. and. Be nice to write about actual baseball games
0: again, JJ. We always talk about we have two seasons here. We have baseball season, and then we have prospect season, and we are back in baseball season now. You know, we are we have a mock draft up today at BaseballAmerica.com. You know, Carlos uh, Colazzo, our draft writer, is coming back from a uh, very busy uh, week in Florida. You know, both uh, seeing some JUCO top Juco players, but also top high school players, uh, Brennan Malone and all. In fact, actually, he is back. Man, he's, he's already back in... Cranking away because that's what Carlos does, um, you know. We're in the second week of college baseball, uh, you know, and and now you know we also were you know, Kyle's been rolling out the uh, the you know what if everyone was homegrown, you know we were rolling through those. We will have uh, a major
1: league preview issue went to press yep. yesterday, so keep an eye out that for keep an eye out for that in your mailboxes.
0: Yep, and we're putting all that a lot of that content coming online real soon. Um, we thank Benny Machado for signing just in time for us to get it in. You know, Bryce, we wish we'd have, you know, Bryce Hyper, Dallas Keichel, Marvin Gonzalez, Greg Kimball. Gonzalez, you know, yeah. yeah, so there's still some out there. Uh, but, Adam Jones. You know, but again, as always, we do remind you to say, uh, great time to subscribe to Baseball America, baseballamerica.com. You know, you can get the mag, the print mag, which, by the way, you know, we still want to hear your feedback. I'd love to hear your feedback on, you know, if you got your college preview, which is out now, the, the new monthly format, you know, the new, uh, you new know, expanded every... monthly format. Right. So, if you have thoughts on that, JJ Cooper, jjcooper, at baseballamerica.com, or my DMs are open at Coop 36 I am interested to hear it. You know, really, we're interested to hear, again, we get a lot of response, we appreciate that. I apologize if I have not responded to everybody, but it is something we wanna hear. We wanna hear what you like, we wanna hear what you think we should do better. You know, We are constantly working to try to uh, make this the best product we can, and we appreciate your feedback. As always, we appreciate those who already subscribe with us, who already read us. Who are, you know, but again, especially the subscribers, you are uh, you allow us to do what we do. We thank you for that. But baseballamerica.com slash store, you can subscribe
1: now. And go ahead and uh, leave us some feedback on the podcast, too, whatever platform you're listening on. We'd love to A review on iTunes, we always appreciate it. For JJ Cooper, I'm Kyle Glazer. This has been another edition of the Baseball America Podcast. Thanks for listening, everybody.